let me just say, uh, what I was, I was telling everybody this morning, the longer I live, and maybe you guys can, can attest to this, the longer I live, the more I see that God's timing is absolutely perfect and that he's a God of the details. Can I get an amen on that? God knows every little detail of our life, and he's always on time. Last week when I was preaching, or a couple weeks ago when I was preaching on how audacious faith expects the best, I, I, I shared this passage with you, Psalm 32, verse 8. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life, and I will advise you, and I will watch over you. And I've just seen, uh, as I walk with God, that He's always on time, not my time, but he's always on his time, and it's always the right time. And the, the minute details of the way he works things out are absolutely stunning. And I want to encourage all of us, as we're talking about audacious faith, you might be in the midst of something right now that's very challenging, very painful. Uh, you, might, you might be feeling overwhelmed, whatever the situation is. Can I just encourage you, let's keep putting audacious faith in the Lord leaving the results and the time limit to him, and watch how God begins to work things out in your life in amazing, amazing ways. Before I jump into this message too far, I want to welcome all of our folks that are watching, our friends across the nations of the world. God's giving us a great global family. I know many of you are watching on our live stream, and those of you that are at home that couldn't be with us, we just tell you we love you. We're glad that you guys are watching. Can we give all of those folks a hand? We're glad you guys are watching in today. I get... uh, I get emails from people uh, all week long talking about how, you know, we were sick, we couldn't make it, but we were so grateful. We watched everybody live. We were part of the family life on the live stream. I praise God for that technology. All right, get your Bibles open to uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. How many of you appreciated Pastor Keith Tusi last Sunday? Wasn't that it? If you, if you weren't here, listen to, the, listen to the podcast because he talked about rounding second and giving a roundhouse slug in the face to a bully who had been tormenting him for most of his early life. Uh, and he tied that into rounding second and giving the enemy a slug, uh, the enemy of our faith, a punch and knocking him out. And uh, that forever will stick in my brain because that's exactly what we need to do to the devil as he's bringing uh, temptation, struggles, doubt into our, our, our lives, trying to torment us, is round second base and give him a good slug. All right, that's okay to do in the kingdom of God. It's okay to do spiritually. But turn with me to Hebrews 11.1. 1. Um, two weeks ago, I talked about love, believe, or I'm sorry, audacious faith believes the best. And it came from this passage right here, the first part of this verse. Read along with me. It says, now faith is the assurance of things that are hoped for. Another way of saying that is faith expects the best. If we believe in the goodness of God and we believe that God is all-powerful and almighty and he cares for us, he'll never leave us or forsake us, how many of you know we've got to learn to have a default in our brains to where when we encounter challenges in life, we don't automatically go to the negative, to the unbelief realm, to pessimism. We immediately begin to declare the goodness of God. How many of you know none of us do this by nature? Can I get an amen on that? This is a learned art. All of us by nature are negative. We always look at the glass half empty. We always look at a challenge, and the instant response in our natural man is fear, worry, anxiety. Am I talking to the right group? What God's trying to teach us, God said, without faith it's impossible to please me. I'm a rewarder of those who diligently seek me. So we have to learn to stop acting that way. If we expect God to move in our lives and we expect the fullness of our inheritance, we have to stop acting in unbelief. Are you with me? We have to learn 
that when something challenging comes our way, we instantly take the Word of God and we take our knowledge of who God is and we begin to declare the truth about the situation even though it doesn't look that way in the natural. Which leads me to the second part of this verse and that's what I want to focus on today. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, but it is the conviction. That word conviction means assurance. It means evidence. One translation said faith is the title deed. It's the, it's the proof we have in our hand. It's the paper. It's a letter from the bank that assures us of things that we have not yet seen, meaning things that we haven't seen in the natural. Now, let me tell you one of the things that sets us apart as believers is we have the unfair advantage of being able to see things that other people can't see. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We have an unfair advantage of seeing things that the natural eye has not yet seen, but things that our spiritual eyes have already apprehended. How do we apprehend these things? Because we walk with God, because we know His Word, because we spend time with Him, and because God speaks to us. And when we get the title deed of a promise from God, it enables us to actually experience something that hasn't yet happened in the natural. This is very, very important for us to get this because God does, the, God does what He does in this pattern all the time. In other words, whatever God does exists, first of all, in His mind and heart before we ever see it in the natural. Let me give you an example. Look down a couple of verses to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. By faith we understand that the entire universe, the cosmos was formed at God's command. That what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. This is a stunning verse. I mean, you know, the cosmos is quite a, it's quite a deal, all right? We're, we're just a tiny little speck in this massive galaxy, cosmos, all right, that God's created, the, crea- the whole created world. But the Bible says this, everything that we see around us and can't see, that we just have to look at a telescope or something just to see the outer fringes uh, in the natural... That all existed and was created by a being who is unseen. Now let me ask you a question. What is greater, the entire visible cosmos or the unseen God who spoke it all into existence? I want us to to pause here for just a moment. What is greater? In most of our minds, what we see around us is greater. We have been conditioned in this culture to think that, you know, we're always saying, hey, prove it. I've got to see it before I believe it. God says, no, you've got to believe it before you see it. Because what exists, the unseen realm, is greater than the seen realm. I mean, we've we got to get this. The unseen realm is far greater than the seen realm. We get locked into what we can see with our eyes, what we can experience, what our bodies can experience. And God says, I am so much bigger than your tiny little ability to perceive. I have one eye that doesn't even see all that great right now, and I'm trying to tell you know people that exist with eyes that don't work or ears that are failing or bodies that are getting weak, and we're trying to tell God what reality is all about? Are you kidding me? There is an unseen being who simply spoke what was in his mind, and the entire cosmos now exists. Are you kidding me? The unseen realm is huge, is more real than what we're seeing around us. Let me give you an example of this from Scripture. Some of you turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. I won't go into a whole bunch of there, but I want to lay the foundation here. The enemies of Israel, the Arameans, were attacking God's people, and they were setting up strategies. And what was funny is there was a man named Elisha. The Bible says he was a common man like us is, all right? 
but he walked with God. And God would speak to Elisha and say, hey, the army is gathering over there for a sneak attack. And he would tell Elisha, and Elisha would go to the general, and he'd tell the general, hey, Tony, they're getting ready to jump you all day after tomorrow right over there. And he'd go, hey, thanks for the heads up. So what would they do? They'd stay away from there. What would happen? The king's getting ticked off. He's pulling in all of his advisors. He's saying, one of you guys is a leaker. You're leaking information to the press. All right? You're telling the, you're telling the enemy where we're going to be. And these guys are going, king, we swear it's not us. Here's what they said. It's Elisha. God tells him everything. One man in a relationship with the unseen God giving information not humanly possible about the plans of armies that's getting ready to happen in the future that God already knows about and God already hears and defeating the plans of the enemy. So finally, these guys figure it out. Elisha is public enemy number one. If we can take out Elisha, then we can go kill Israel. The problem is, Elisha's a man of God, and here's what happens. Elisha's having a good night's sleep. His servant wakes up the next morning. The servant walks out to get a cup of coffee at his Keurig machine there, you know. He's hitting the button, and he looks out, and he goes, Oh, my goodness! There's chariots, armies, as far as the eye can see, surrounding one prophet. Can I just tell you something? One man or woman who walks in covenant with God is more powerful than all the armies on planet Earth. That's the reality. Do you understand? Do I understand as we walk in covenant with God, as we listen to God, as we walk in obedience to God, as we read the Word of God, do you know how dangerous you are to the kingdoms of darkness? An entire army surrounds one little prophet. Elisha wipes the sleep off of his eyes. This guy's freaking out. You got to come see this. You got to come see this. And this is what Elisha does. He walks out there. He gives a big yawn. I'm adding a few things here for, for emphasis. He puts his coffee cup in to fill up his cup. And this is what he says in 2 Kings 6, 17. He prays to the Lord. Oh, Lord, open my servant's eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. Whoa! Can you imagine the change inside that servant from going from hopelessness at human armies to seeing armies of fire all around him and realizing, what was I thinking? And here this prophet standing there realizing, I feel sorry for all you people. Because you are no match for the unseen realm of the true and living God. Now let me just ask you this question. How many of us, when we're facing a challenge, we say, God, open up my eyes to see what you see. Open up my eyes to have faith, to believe, to see the unseen, and to realize, God, that you are for me and not against me, and you are involved in this situation, and I can trust you. Look at the example of Moses back in Hebrews 11. This is Hebrews eleven twenty seven. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. Why did he not fear this physical king? Well, it tells us he kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. This is amazing. 
We can either fear human enemies, we can either fear earthly kings, or we can somehow learn to keep our eyes on a king who's an invisible king that we can't see with natural eyes, but we see through the eyes of faith. God always honors people who honor his king and his kingdom more than earthly kings and earthly kingdoms. If you live for the kingdom of God, God says he'll provide every single thing that you need if you live for his kingdom. Or you can live to build your own kingdom, and I'll ask you in a little while, how's that working for you? God never intended us to build our own kingdoms. God wants us to live and honor his kingdom, to fear someone who's greater than any earthly person. That's how we operate in the kingdom of God. The Bible says we walk by believing. We walk by faith, not by seeing. You know, there are people in our culture today, they're like, oh, you Christians, you're so naive. You just pray, 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 and pray doesn't do anything, and you believe in your little God in the sky, and God's going to help you. We live in such an unbelieving, carnal, secular, materialistic, naturalistic, ungodly culture that when you say something like, we walk by believing and not by seeing, people look at you like you're naive. Let me just tell you, if you're in a challenge, you're in a relational challenge, you're in a marital struggle, you're believing for kids that are far from God, you're believing for someone in your family who is way far from God, and you're like, God, can you touch that person? You're believing for a financial breakthrough, you're believing for a healing in your body. People will think you're nuts, but people that know God live in an unseen realm. They see things that other people don't see. And they speak things that other people don't say because they have greater confidence in the unseen king of glory than in what they can see all around them. People are going to question your sanity at times, but here's the the, the promise. This comes from St. Augustine. St. Augustine said, Faith is to believe what we do not see, and the reward of faith is to see what we believe. You never get what you're believing for if you're waiting to see it. If, if you're one of these, excuse me, <coughs> I preached myself into hyperactivity this morning. I was so excited that I can hardly catch my breath right now. If you're one of those people who has this attitude, I'll believe it when I see it. Let me just prophesy to you. You're never going to see it. You will live. You will live in, a, in the deserts of unbelief. I had people tell me one time, well, I believe God. If he, you know, if he shows, me, shows himself in a burning bush like Moses... You're going to be waiting a long time. Moses was not looking for a burning bush. Moses was apprehended by God, but notice it's because he left Egypt because he put his faith and his eyesight on an unseen, invisible God. That's when God chose to make himself visible in terms of a burning bush and a destiny that was on his life. I'm just telling you, we got to get rid of this idea that believing God and moving in faith is unreasonable. Let me, let me ask you this question. What is more reasonable than for a creature to put his or her trust in the creator who the Bible says cannot lie and cannot fail? Let me ask you how reasonable it is to love Jesus with all your heart and to believe him. Is it stupid to believe in someone who cannot lie to you? No, in fact, that person we would say is incredibly trustworthy. Is it stupid to put your confidence in a God who it finds it possible to fail at anything that he does? 
No, that would be the height of intelligence. I'm telling you that audacious faith makes more sense than you trying to act like you're out here by yourself, putting all your confidence in the experts, listening to all the, you know, talking heads on television. Why don't we shut all that garbage off, and why don't we get in the presence of the unseen one who defines reality itself and who's in covenant relationship with us? This is logical. This is not irrational. This is not stupid. This is the height of smartness, all right? I don't know if that's a word, but I just made it up. So where do we get this faith from? We get it from the Word of God. The spoken Word of God, the personal Word of God, the written Word of God. Faith comes by hearing. The Bible says hearing the Word of God. Remember, I shared with you two weeks ago, and I want you to get this in your heart. Faith arises out of God's person, who He is. Faith arises out of God's presence, the fact that God is with us and he's never going to leave us. And faith arises out of God's promises. What has God said? His person, his presence, his promises. Say that with me. His person, his presence, his promises. Where do you learn to move in faith? You spend time with God. You get in his presence. You listen to his voice. You worship him. And you listen to the promises that he's given to us. And you hold on to them or else you can just live a life of unbelief. And I told you, God tells us over and over again, don't live a life of unbelief. He warns us about unbelief. It's that important. So let's turn back to 1 Samuel 30. I want to... I Encourage us again from the lessons from David's life. Have any of you ever had a bad day? Wave at me if that's you, all right? Have any of you ever had a really bad day? Like days that you're like, this is the worst day of my life, all right? David had one of those days, and we read about it in 1 Samuel chapter 30. As I shared with you earlier, David's living between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise. And some of you are there right now. You're believing God for something, but it hasn't manifested yet. I just want to encourage you, do not lose heart in the midst of the battle. Do not quit. Some of you came here today, and you're weak in your faith, and you're feeling overwhelmed and discouraged. I'm just telling you, don't you dare quit. You need to press into God, and you need faith to arise in your heart, because between the promise and the destiny, there's going to be the worst day of your life. And that happens for all of us. If you haven't had that day yet, I'm not trying to be a, you know, a downer here today, but I'm telling you, there will be days when your faith and everything about you is challenged and you wonder, who am I and am I going to make it through this? David had one of those days. He was off on a raid with his men. The Bible says that he came back after three days. And in 1 Samuel 30, verse 1, it says they arrived at their home town of Ziklag. And they found that the Amalekites, their enemies, had made a raid. And what they found was that the entire city had been burned to the ground and that everybody in the city was gone. How would you like to come home to smoldering ashes of your house? Everything that you own is gone, and that which is most precious, the members of your family, your wife, your children, gone. And let me just tell you, in the natural, where does your mind begin to default? Have any of you ever misplaced a child? when you're out shopping or something like that, and all of a sudden you look and they're gone. What instantly grips your heart? And you're automatically, you're automatically looking for the phone to call 911. You're sure somebody has stolen your child. Am I talking? This is, the devil just brings fear in. I remember taking vacations on the beach with eight kids. That is not a vacation. <laughs> that ain't a vacation. I'm laying there with my suntan oil on and my neck's like this. 
I'm checking them out. Hey, get back in. You're out too far. Hey, you got the little ones with the floaty diaper thing on, you know, and a wave hits them. Next thing you know, their butt's up in the air like a bobber. And you're like, that is not normal. Hey, get them. Get their kid up. Uh, Y'all know what I'm talking about. We live this way. Can you imagine what was going on in David's mind and, the, and his men when they come into their town, burned to the ground, nothing left, and not a soul around? I guarantee you, they were shaken to the core of their being. And look what it says next. Verse 3, when David and his men saw the ruins and they realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. Have you ever been there? Have you ever cried so hard? Have you ever been so distraught uh, that you just weep and weep and weep and, and you cannot cry another tear? And then you're absolutely exhausted. You know, I was grateful uh, in the recent passing of my father that we, first of all, we cried and cried and cried on Friday. We cried a lot. You know what happened on Saturday? We tried to recover. How I many you know you're emotionally exhausted when you're so under it and you're so full of grief? And sometimes it takes weeks and months to recover just physically because it's so draining. These powerful warriors, mighty men, cried so hard they couldn't cry anymore. And then I want to encourage you, at your lowest point, that's why, boy, the, our praise and worship team did such a great job today on the song selection because they didn't know the details of where I was going. But how many of you know when you're at the lowest point, God is deeper still. When you're facing the major obstacle, God is stronger than the obstacle in front of you. Boy, what a great song we were singing. I'm, I'm butchering the chorus, but, it, but that was what we were talking about. When these guys got to the lowest of the low, they had a choice to make. And I want to encourage you here. Every time we face the worst day of our life, and there's grief and sorrow or loss, you're going to have a fork in the road. You're either going to learn how to find God and turn your eyes to Him, or I'm telling you, grief and bitterness and, and resentment yes. and unbelief will come rushing in like a river and overwhelm you. And Satan's goal at that point is not to have a pity party with you. It is to destroy you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? These men who owed David everything. You remember when they came to David? They were broken. They were discouraged. They were depressed. Uh, they were in debt. They had nothing to offer David, and David loved them and ministered to them and encouraged them, and they became mighty men of God. Now, because of the, of the tragedy around them, they begin to allow bitterness in their heart, and they begin to turn on David. Look what it says next. Imagine what's going on in David's heart. Imagine the pain in these people. David was now in great danger, verse 6, because all the men were very bitter about losing their sons and their daughters. They began to talk of stoning David. Just begin thinking of yourself as a leader. I've been there before. You go through disappointments in life, and you start having a pity party. Anybody throw one of those for yourself? You start having a pity party. I could imagine David thinking, what? You're talking about stoning me? Where would you be if it were not for me and without me pouring into you and loving you and sacrificing for you, and now you want to take it out on me? And I'm sure he's thinking through, God, God, where are you in all this? I'm here fighting your battles. I'm in covenant with you. My kids are gone. My wife's gone. My city's burned down. Now my guys are turning on me. I mean, this is a point where people can get really, really bitter. And I just want to say there might be somebody in here today, you have gone through a difficult season or a difficult experience or a difficult 
difficult loss, and there is a pocket of bitterness in your heart which breeds mistrust and unbelief toward God, which keeps you stuck in a bad place, and you've been stuck for a long time. Listen to me. You have a choice today to cash in your bitterness and to turn your heart and to do what David did. Look what David did in this next verse. I want to talk about this. This is an important point. Instead of grief and tears and bitterness and threatening other people with violence, the Bible says this, David strengthened and encouraged himself in the Lord his God, 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. Strengthened and encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David wasn't looking at the carnage. He wasn't looking at the devastation. He refused to submit to grief and bitterness that was like coming over him like a giant tidal wave. Instead, he chose to look to the unseen God, the maker of heaven and earth. He needed courage. He needed wisdom. And the Bible simply said he encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, the Bible doesn't give us the specifics there. The Bible gives us the shortened version. But if you could imagine yourself being overcome with grief, your men being full of bitterness, talking about killing you, how in the world do you do that verse? How do you strengthen and encourage yourself in the Lord? Well, I got a theory, all right? I think, first of all, he left the, that environment. How I many you know when you're around hostile people with stones in their hands and you need to hear from God, that's not a good place for a quiet time? I hope you all have a, a place where you can hide and be with God. You need to have a place in your life when times are getting rough, you can get away and you can get in the presence of God. You know what else I think David did? I think he pulled out his guitar. Because you know what David did when he was out in the fields as a boy after the prophecy about him being king? He went back to tend that sheep. Not too spectacular, but he made the most of it. He got his guitar, and I think he started singing and worshiping. Now here's a, here's a uh, psalm that David might have pulled out of the old repertoire. Do you all have your favorite song you hit on your iPod when you need to encounter God? Yeah. Um, I've got my playlist. I know there's certain songs when I hit them. I just feel the Holy Ghost goosebumps all over me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? There are certain songs that just help me connect my heart to God. There are certain songs when I'm driving down the highway and they come on, I start singing at the top of my lungs. I don't care if my kids are in the car. I just embarrass them uh, because my voice isn't the greatest, but God loves it when I start singing. And I'll just start singing and the presence of God comes on my life. You know what I'm talking about? I think David got his his iPod out and pulled up one of those favorite songs of his. Maybe he grabbed his guitar, but I think he started singing maybe Psalm 34. Check this out. I'm going to praise the Lord when I feel good and everything's going my way. Wait, that's not what it says, is it? What does it say? I'm going to praise the Lord at all times. How many of you know praise is the language of faith? Say, I want to learn how to speak faith. No, you don't, take a, you don't go to language school. You go to worship school. Say, what, do what do we do when we come here on the first day of the week? First thing we do in here, the band's up here to lead us. What are we doing? We're exercising our faith language. Some of you are thinking, I don't know how to speak faith. Oh, yes, you do. Every week we train you. What is the faith language? You start singing the word of the Lord. David said, I'm going to praise the Lord at all times. I'm going to constantly speak his praises. In fact, look at verse 2. I'm not only going to constantly speak his praises, I'm going to boast on God. Do all you, you ever do that? When something's hitting your life and you feel overwhelmed and it's not looking good or something, you've you got a situation that's a major challenge, do you ever just start out loud talking to the Lord and boasting in God? 
say, man, this situation looks pretty serious. But I'm glad, Lord, you're so much bigger than this situation. Lord, I'm glad that nothing is more powerful than you, God. Hey, I'm going to start boasting to the enemy. Whatever you're bringing my way, you ain't nothing. You haven't begun to see what my God can do. I mean, you know, when you start talking this way, that's faith language. That's language that catches God's ear because it simply acknowledges who he is. And you start saying, hey, let's not freak out about this financial situation. I need a job. Oh, my gosh, I need a job. How am I going to pay the bills? Father, I'm going to praise you at all times. Your praise is continually on my lips. Lord, you know my needs, and I thank you, God. And you begin to preach out of the reservoir of your encounter with God. Faith is a language. Faith is the, or praise is the language of faith. Look what it says next. I'm going to boast in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. This, David has just moved out of preaching to himself to encouraging helpless people out there, wherever you're at. Because he just moved from my own problems to, hey, let all you helpless folks boast in the Lord. I mean, his world just expanded. He, he, he could have been all focusing on the inside, but then he lifted his eyes to the heavens, to the unseen God who controls his life and everybody else's. He starts praising and boasting in God. And now he's so excited, he's preaching. He's preaching to the helpless. Come on, check this out. Verse 3. Come and let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt his name together. Uh, The King James Version says, magnify the Lord with me. Now he's inviting everybody around him into a praise session. I don't know about you, but I just got to tell you, I couldn't do this without you. I could not do this without you. When the Bible says, let's magnify the Lord together, there is power in the body coming together and seeking God together and declaring God together. I shared a few weeks ago when, when we had a Sunday service after the death of our founding bishop, and, and, uh, and it wasn't a happy, clappy start, but thank God uh, David got us going up there, and I wanted him to get us going, that the focus wasn't on a loss. The focus was on an inheritance. The focus was not on the emotions we were feeling, but on a God, the unseen God, who is even in death triumphing over our lowest points, bringing resurrection life, bringing hope in the midst of darkness. And thank God, man, by the time some, of you, some people were saying, Pastor, I don't know how you preached on that Sunday. I'll tell you how I preached. Thank God for the worship team that led us. Thank God we got our eyes on the Lord, started worshiping the Lord, started considering God. Come on. And then you get, you get going and faith arises in your heart. And you say, man, if that person can do it, by golly, I can do it. In my own heart, as I'm looking at my Bible, I say, if my dad could live for God all the days of his life, then by golly, the grace of God is faithful for me right here and right now. I'm going to continue to walk in the same inheritance. How does that happen? We get inspired by being around people of faith. You need to be around people of faith. You need to be around people older than you. It was Elisha who said to the young man, Lord, open the brother's eyes so he can see the situation correctly. Thank God, thank God for the gray hairs in the house who have a history of faithfulness in God who can look to the younger ones and say, it's going to be all right. God is going to bring us through this. Come on, we need each other. We need each other. As David's worshiping, notice it changes to prayer. That's why I love our harp and bowl style 
of worship and prayer. We sing to the Lord. Our hearts get full and on fire. Then we pray the fire. Then we sing, and then we pray the fire. We get more fire. We pray the fire. It makes the prayer meetings go fast and furious because we're engaging with God and we're praying prayers. Look what David prays here. He said, I prayed to the Lord, and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In my desperation, I prayed, and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. Come on. David is now declaring to God that as he's talking to him, he knows that God's listening, and he's remembering all the times in the past when God was faithful. And I want you to see something here. This is incredible. David said, For the angel of the Lord is a guard, and he surrounds and defends all who fear him. We don't even know that we're living in a world right now that's inhabited by spirits, angels, the demonic. You know, I I still believe that one of the greatest things that can bring revival to the church is seeing the real presence of a demonic being speaking through a person who they've inhabited. Because they're like, no, this isn't Hollywood, folks. There's demons, and they're real, and they're looking for a place to hang out. They're looking for agreement. But the good news is, we also live in a world that's inhabited by lots of angels who are ministering spirits sent by the Lord. Now, this is David under the Old Covenant, and this was David's declaration. I know that God has sent an angel to surround me and to guard me and to fight on my behalf. That's David thousands of years before Jesus. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We have a better covenant. There are angels, the Bible says, sent as ministering spirits. When is it that we're facing a challenge that we make this declaration? God Almighty, I thank you that the angels have been released even now to come to our aid, to fight our battle, to give us breakthrough. Come on. We don't see the way that we need to see. We need to pray God open our eyes to see the chariots of fire on our behalf. This is the Bible, folks. This is the supernatural unseen realm that is more real than the seen realm. Come on. We need to get in the presence of the Lord. We need to magnify the Lord and not our enemies and not our our challenges. Secondly, we need to get a word from God. And let me wrap this up quickly. I got three minutes, but I'm going to do my best. Get a word from God. David asked the Lord this question. Should I go after this band of raiders? That's the first question. Second question, will I catch them? Can I encourage you that the purpose of God's promises is not that we use them in isolation from his person and his presence? Let me tell you what I mean here. Sometimes there are people who don't walk with God, but when they get into a problem, they find a verse and they quote it like a million times. How many of you know God's not stupid? Like he doesn't know his word. He knows, he, he gave us those words. But the word should never be separated from the person and the presence. In other words, if my kids come up to me and they say, well, you said, you said. We have a problem. Because there's no connection with the person or the presence. They're trying to beat me up with a promise. And most likely have twisted it for their own benefit and taking it out of context. Not always, but sometimes. 
Sometimes they're reminding me that I did say that and I need to follow through. But you get my point. In other words, there's no joy in following through on the promise if there's no person or presence connected to the promise. Does this make sense to everybody? My point is this. David had enough of a relationship with God that he got before the Lord and after worshiping and praying, then he asked God, what should I do? And God heard his prayer and God said this. This is exciting. I'm telling you, one word from God changes everything. God said this to David, go after them, you will surely recover everything that was taken from you. Now, can I just ask you a question? If you've lost your wife, your child, your children, your family, your your possessions, and your men are threatening mutiny, and they're going to kill you because they're so bitter, and you go find God, and your heart's encouraged, and you ask God, what do I do? And God says, go get them. In fact, not only go get them, you're going to get back every single thing. I'm telling you what happened. David came out of his quiet prayer room, his prayer closet, and this is what happened. There's no gloom on him. There's no heaviness on him. At that moment, he was a man with fire in his eyes. He walks among those men. He says, guys, get up. Put away the Kleenex. Get on your horses. Get your weapons. God has spoken. We are going after them. And God said, we're going to get back everything and not one thing will be lost. Now, if you're a man and you're in those situations and somebody comes in with a word from God glowing like they've been in the presence of the Lord, declaring the word of the Lord, I'll tell you what goes off in your heart. All of a sudden, hopelessness is gone. Courage fills your heart. And let me ask you this question. Who's the leader at that point? I'll tell you who the leader is. The leader is always a man or woman with the word of the Lord in their heart. A leader is somebody who knows how to encounter God for their situation. Some of you men need to hear this. You're leading your family. What do we do? Do we buy this? Do we not buy this? Do we invest in this? Do we not invest in this? If you're a man or woman of God, you can find God. You can get in his presence. You can worship him, and you can ask him questions, and he will give you specific direction about what you need. Once you have a word from God settled in your heart, you're like a man or woman from another planet. There, there's something inside of you that you, you, you get like a bronze forehead when it comes to opposition. David said, we're going to get it all back. And then they began to act on that. Listen to this. I love this passage. Psalm 56, verse 9. It's on the screen there. Check it out. What an amazing promise. The very moment, David said, I called to you, meaning God, for a father's help. The tide of the battle turns and my enemies flee. This one thing I know. God is on my side. When you are going through challenges in life, how many of you know this life, whether you live one month or whether you live 100 years, in light of eternity, it's almost indistinguishable. You with me? One month, 100 years, in light of eternity, what's the difference? It's a vapor. Why does God allow you to go through challenges? Let me tell you why. Because he wants to reveal his Father's heart. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to stop freaking out. He wants you to stop being a worry wart. He wants you to stop being a control freak. He wants you to stop all these behaviors, and he wants you to learn how to let him father you. Because you're going to spend eternity with your father. You're going to spend forever with God. And he's trying to show you. Listen to the confidence David had. When I turn to you, God, for a father's help, in other words, I need you to father me, 
The tide of the battle turns and my enemies flee. He said that before anything changed in the natural. You need to have a confidence in your heart that when you pray and you ask God for legitimate needs that your Father hears and He changes the moment you ask. It's not like, oh God, I hope you... The moment you ask, the battle tide is turning and your enemies are already running before you've ever seen it with your natural eyes. You all understand how this thing works. David declared that, and this is the other thing he declared, and this is so important. At the core of your being, do you know this, that God is your Father and that God's on your side? I, I mean, we could just pause right here just for a second. This is important. I don't think a lot of people sitting in here this morning really believe that God is for you, that God's on your side, and that he's a dad to you. And some of you haven't had a good dad at all. You don't know what I'm talking about, but he's a father that when the minute you cry, enemies begin to run. You say, Father, enemies are running. Situations are turning because good fathers are coming to the aid of their children. When they hear the voice of their son or daughter, good fathers are coming to help and they're coming to bring solutions. David rested in his confidence knowing that God was forming and on his side. It gave him amazing faith. Look at Psalm 35, 27. Let the Lord be magnified who delights and takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. When we give our lives to the Lord and we honor him and we live for the kingdom, God wants to bless you. He finds pleasure in blessing you. He finds pleasure in caring for you when you're living for his purposes. I'm not talking about live for yourself and ask God to be your candy man. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you give your life to God and you invite him into your situations and you say, God, I want to seek first the kingdom. God says, I take delight in blessing you. I take delight in helping you. Do we believe that? It's a foundation for audacious faith. Last thing I'll say, live with a vision for victory. Our vision is all about our perspective of the future. And some of you this morning, depending on your perspective of the future, some of you are either energized or demoralized. And let let me just pause there. Are you sitting here today demoralized? If you're demoralized, I'm telling you you're demoralized because your vision of your future is not God's vision for your future. If you're energized, it's because something is stirring in your heart this morning. Faith is arising, and you're beginning to believe that God's future for you is awesome and that there's breakthrough ahead. What determines your vision is whether there's faith present, audacious faith in God or not. That's the game breaker. Our present lives, if if I said right now, think about the present, as soon as you began to think about now, it automatically became the past. Have you figured that one out? The present is just a, a tiny little sliver of time that always disappears as soon as we focus on it. We live between our memories and we, and we live with our imagination. Our memories have to be rooted in the faithfulness of God. Our imagination has to be framed and shaped by the promises of God. Are you with me? If you're not living in, 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 with a healed past and your past has not been covered in the blood, and you're not, you're not having your memories healed and all that kind of stuff, and you're not letting the Lord bring you out of that, you're going to be stuck in the past. If, you're, if your future is poisoned, your imagination is poisoned by the cancer of worry. I mean, a worry is cancer of the imagination. If your future is full of worry, you've, you've got cancer of the imagination, and you cannot see what God is wanting you to see as you sit in his presence and you dream his thoughts after him. Two verses and I'll shut up, I promise. Ephesians 3.20. 
Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request. Oh my gosh. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. Oh, my word. When I read that verse, here's what I'm convicted of. I don't know how to dream big enough with God. I don't know how to ask. My, my walk with God is boring because I'm boring. God will achieve infinitely more than my greatest request. What are you asking God? Your most unbelievable dream. What dream has God put in your heart? And exceed your wildest imagination. Again, imagination, the ability to conceive and picture a preferred future in the Lord. God has the ability to go beyond your most unbelievable dream. Your wildest imagination. Here's what I'm asking God to do in me. God, help me be a wild kingdom dreamer. I'm not talking about selfish Ron dreams. I'm talking about wild kingdom dreams. Like, what could God do through us together if we would believe him? Look at Romans 8, 28, last verse. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we're lovers who have been called to fulfill his divine purpose. Are you a lover of Jesus this morning? If you're, a love, if you're a lover, then God says every detail. In fact, Paul said, I'm convinced. That's audacious faith. I'm convinced. I am assured. It is rock-solid evidence that every detail of our lives is being woven together by God for the purpose of bringing God's perfect plan to accomplishment in our lives. In other words, kingdom destiny. I mean, how many of you guys believe this with me this morning? If you're a lover, that's your future. That means you just say, Lord, I'm yours. I don't understand what's going on. But let's just go find that quiet place and let me just start worshiping and help me get centered. Help me find stability. Yeah. Help, help me get perspective on what you're doing. And then you start boasting. And then you start declaring. Before you know it, you're happy on the inside. Nothing's changed on the outside, but you're happy on the inside. You got the peace of God. Because you're a lover. You're a lover. Next week, we come in here for worship. And let me just say this, you know, worship is, is something that only happens in church. Where do you find people out in the culture singing? Hey, let's get together. And, uh, you know, we'll just all sing songs together, okay? Follow me. We're going to sing Bon Jovi, verse 1 and 3. All right? I mean, we go to concerts and we watch other people sing, right? But, but we don't, like, go out and just sing. So I get it. Here's what happens. When you're, when you're an early lover of Jesus and you come to church, here's what worship looks like, and I've seen it from the stage. Because you're going, what are these people doing? How many songs are they going to sing? How long is this going to take? But then something happens. You become a lover, and you get love to life. And then you realize that worship is not an exercise. 
It's not a religious exercise. It's an opportunity for the passion of my heart to be released through words declaring the greatness of my God. And, faith, and at, the more I sing, the more faith begins to arise in my heart. And I'm no longer counting how many songs. I'm no longer counting how long it takes because I'm a lover. I never count how many kisses I give my wife. How many times do you want me to kiss you? No, I never have had that thought. When I kiss my wife, I lose track of how many kisses because I'm not a kiss counter. I'm, a, I'm enjoying her. I've never heard anybody that's a lover of Jesus say, how long is your church service? Just like I've never heard two lovers say, how long do we have to be together? I'm messing with some of you guys now. I'm I'm messing with some of you men because you're like, man, I just don't understand this religious stuff. But you understood that? Because worship, worship is loving Jesus and getting lost in his presence. How many of you know the reason heaven has no time is because we're going to be so consumed with love for God? I mean, it's wow. So how about let's be a part of a church that provokes one another to believe in God for exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or think beyond our wildest imagination that God could accomplish in our lives while we have this little teeny tiny time together to actually exercise faith because we won't need to exercise faith when we're in heaven because we'll just be lovers of Jesus. We won't have anything to exercise faith for. But we've got lots of things to exercise faith for right now. So let's covenant together to be radical lovers of Jesus, to believe him for great things, to keep pushing him and challenging him and challenging one another and lifting one another up and believe that God could do amazing, amazing things through our church family in the tiny little bit of time we have left. I rolled over at the day after my father died and I heard the Lord say to me, you're the patriarch now. I heard, I heard that. I was like, God, you gotta be kidding me. I still feel like I'm 18 on the inside. How did this happen? But it happened. And you know what? Legacies get passed. And you only have a tiny window to love people, to love well. Only a tiny window to give your life away. Only a tiny window to invest what God's given us in other people in the kingdom. Tiny little window. And then it's over. So that we have this little tiny time to believe God in a faith that honors Him. And not to walk in unbelief and not to come up short and not to quit on him and not to quit on each other, but to believe God and to keep going after God and to keep encouraging one another. Is this making sense? Let's live with audacious faith. And if you want God to stir that up in your heart, hop to your feet. I want to just close in prayer. God, we're hungry. Come on, stir up your own spirit. Some of you need right now to get have faith arise in your heart for where you're at. God, I just prophesied breakthrough over this house. God, I pray that fear and and unbelief and all the garbage of our flesh fall off of us, Lord. Give us eyes to see what you're doing, God. Give us eyes to see 
the supernatural realm around us. God, give us eyes to see, even as we're here this morning. Demonic spirits are trembling around us. They don't want us to understand faith. They don't want us to move with you. God, give us eyes to see. God, let us be encouragers. Let us walk in the word. Let us be people that long for your presence, Lord. God, awaken a hunger in our hearts for you and a trustworthiness that arises because we believe you and we know you, God. Help us to stand strong. Help us to believe big. Help us to run hard. Help us, God, to pray big prayers, Lord. Help us, God, not to shrink back in unbelief. Oh, God, I pray that this be a supernatural download from your word today into our hearts, oh, God. Let faith arise, Lord. Let there be a strength in this congregation, God, of people that are rooted in you, people that know you, God. God, give us a long legacy of your faithfulness, O Lord. God, that we remember that you've been faithful to us for in the past, and you're going to be faithful in the future. God, I pray that depression break off of people this morning. I pray that discouragement get out of this place today. God, I pray that those that have wept, those that are under a spirit of grief, let it lift off of their hearts today. God, give us a vision of a future that's full of Holy Spirit imagination. God, we're not going to move with tiny visions any longer. God, we're not going to live looking at the ground in front of us, God. Lift our eyes to the heavens to see what you're doing, O Lord. God, break us out of the natural realm. Break us out of the boxes we placed around you, O God. God, we want to dream big dreams. Pull us out of the tent like you pulled Abraham out. You told him, get outside, son. Lift up your head. Look to the sky. Begin to count the stars if you can. So shall your offspring be. Lord, give us nations. God, give us a move of your spirit. God, give us resources that we need to plant churches. God, to to see new Roar schools start. God, we want to see souls. God, we want to see people... Peeled. We want to see a mighty move of the supernatural in this place. God, we want to see those that are tormented set free in the name of Jesus. God, we want to live in the kingdom. We want to live in the kingdom, Lord. God, we just pray for breakthrough right now. Personal breakthrough, corporate breakthrough. Father God, help us stir us up as we dwell on you, as we read your word. God, these promises are for every person in this room. May we reach out and hold them and meditate on them and chew on them and think on them and pray them and boast in them, God. And God, let faith arise in our hearts. Oh, we love you, Lord. God, when when all is said and done, we want to be found faithful, full of faith, audacious faith that pleases you. So, Lord, we're just excited. We're, We're leaving here today with expectation on you that you'll work through us that the enemy, even as, even as we're crying out like David did to our father, the enemy is running. The enemy is fleeing. He's running for cover because God is on the move. If God be for us, who could be against us? And God says to us that for him who believes, for him who believes, nothing shall be impossible. God, we choose to believe. And because we believe in the unseen, 
we will have the reward in the seen realm. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Come on. Let's honor the Lord.